Good evening. We are in the book of Colossians. We're doing a... It's been at least a year, I think. I think somebody usually keeps track of when we start here. It's at least a year that we've been spending going through the book of Colossians, and we're nearing our end uh, through this. We're on Lesson 12, and in Chapter 4 uh, is where we'll pick up tonight. Chapter 4, Colossians, verse 5, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our evening here tonight, Lord, to be able to gather together in your house, to be able to open up your word and study it, Lord, to be able to compare scripture with scripture, Lord, to see the things that you have for us there within. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, help me in, in presenting your message tonight for your people. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> That's fun. You take a uh, sip of water and it gets worse. <coughs> <laughs> and one to make it marginally better. All right. So, Book of Colossians here, chapter four. Uh, last time we looked at verse 3 and the examples of preaching from the Bible. We didn't do an exhaustive search of those, but the importance of preaching, we looked at how biblical preaching involves two primary components, the Word of God, first and foremost, and a Spirit-filled believer. So this preaching may be formal at the pulpit, like we're doing here tonight. It could be on a street corner. It could be through other electronic means in these, the, this age here. It could be a personal one-on-one -on -one witness with somebody. Uh, but what, what's common in all of those and, and other examples that you can think of are the Word of God going forth and a Spirit-filled believer presenting it. So tonight we're going to be looking at um, moving into bullet item number two. I'm not sure that I'm going to bother with slides tonight. We're only going to have one uh, bullet item that we'll cover here tonight. But the believer's public life is the title of this section. By way of introduction, prayer. We spent a lot of time talking about prayer. Uh, not only on Wednesday nights here, but Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, uh, Sunday school. The importance of prayer in a believer's life is, is paramount, right? It is your connection with the Father, with God. How else do you connect with Him? Well, you connect in prayer, you connect by reading His Word the Holy Spirit speaking to you in all of these things. Uh, but prayer is paramount and first, and that we should, shouldn't be seeking to do things of our own will, in our own strength, but first seeking God's will and his, and his, and his direction for our lives in all things, right? It's not something, Lord, help me make it through this project at work. No. I mean, yes, do that, but be specific and don't make it the last thing you do, right? Prayer is not the last thing that we have to rely on. It's the first thing that we should be placing our, is placing our trust and hope in. Connect with him early and often, is what I would say. So in a believer's public life, prayer feeds, fuels the consistent Christian lifestyle. Having exhorted his readers to pray, Paul urged them to live right. That's what we're looking at in this section. Verse 5 starts out, uh, bullet A, walk wisely. 
and the uh, the title of this one is living change lives open doors for witnessing right all of us that know jesus christ as savior can look back on our life at the inflection point of meeting christ at the cross who we were before and who we are after and in this case if you know jesus christ as savior you'll be able to see a changed life you'll be able to see in your life things that you do differently now things that you do that are for god and honoring of god things that you used to do that you don't do anymore or that god is is working on you to remove them right this is not a an instance of trusting jesus christ to be savior you're instantly perfect and and uh, uh instantly fully completely holy no it doesn't happen that way it's a process god works on you but your eternal destiny your eternal state knowing where you're going to be when you die is 100 percent settled at that moment trust jesus christ to be your savior and you have eternal life right now that's a, a promise that god makes in his word here so colossians 4 5 walk in wisdom the first part of this verse when trying to understand what a a passage of scripture says and we've talked about this a lot i think all the the men who teach in here have talked about this a lot but i actually found where it comes from now maybe you guys can double check me on this Uh, when trying to understand what a passage of scripture says i think we can look to this paraphrase quote of a dr david l cooper from rules of interpretation have you ever heard of this man now, it's an interesting quote. The paraphrase of it is, I think we've paraphrased it here a lot, when the plain sense of scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense, lest it result in nonsense. So his, his exact quote was quite a bit more wordy, and, and, uh, but this is the concise version of it. So the word translated here, if we go back to the scripture, translated walk has many definitions. And how do we know what the right way to, trans- or right way to look at a word in scripture is? we look around it right it's the context it's the context man um the word translated walk has many definitions so how do you know which one is the right one it can mean to walk around in a physical sense and it often does in scripture throughout the gospels i would say skimming the references that were there in matthew mark luke and john and including the book of acts the first part of it this word literally means to walk around there are a few other words that are translated to walk as well and mean similar things But it can also, um, oh, in Acts chapter 3, verse 8, when God used Peter to heal the lame man, this same Greek word is used to describe this walking in a physical sense. The man was walking around and leaping for joy, physically walking around. But it also means more than that, or can mean more than that. In this context, of uh, in the verse 5 of Colossians 4, it can mean proof of ability, but not necessarily in a physical sense. So to prove that you're able to, you're walking, you're proving that you can do this. Proof of ability. Now, is it a physical walking that we're talking about here? Walk in wisdom. Are you physically walking in wisdom? It's probably not the most uh, appropriate interpretation or, or, or understanding of the context. But Paul wrote in Galatians 5, 16, this I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Right? Walk in the spirit. To interpret this verse in a literal sense would have Paul saying to the Galatians, right? If you're hyper-literal in all of this, we'll touch on this a little bit later too. If you're hyper-literal, 
uh, it would have Paul would be saying to the Galatians that they should physically walk in an invisible being. Right? If you take the the hyper, the kids will know this uh, Amelia Bedelia books. She takes things hyperly literally, and uh, if you're doing it that way, it doesn't maybe not the best sense of the context here. So we're not we're not trying to be Amelia Bedelias when we're interpreting scripture and understanding things, but. You know, look at the plain sense of what the passage is saying. Walk in the Spirit. Make your, your doing, your ability about, uh, demonstrating your ability to live a Christian life, to walk trusting in God and in the Spirit. So let's rather con- consider the plain sense of scriptures so that we may avoid this nonsense, right? In Colossians 4, 5, the word translated walk can also mean to behave in a certain manner the way a person deports themselves to behave in a certain manner and to be occupied with. The spirit-filled believer now has the ability, right, the ability portion of it, to walk in the wisdom of God by the fact that God himself indwells them. Right, that's the amazing thing, the miracle uh, of the indwelling spirit of God. Jesus Christ, if you know him as Savior, his Holy Spirit lives within you and is seeking to change you from the inside out. This word translate, so okay. The spirit-filled believer now has the ability to walk in the wisdom of God by the fact that God himself now indwells him. The next word, in, we've spent a lot of time here talking about in and the various forms of in that are out there, but this word in is the N, the E-N, or is it epsilon nu, uh, I believe, which means a fixed position. So walk, walk in wisdom, in a fixed position of wisdom. Make your, um, be occupied with being in wisdom. Be, be able to, um, let me go back here, to behave like you're wise, because you are. You have the spirit of God living within you. The word translated wisdom in Greek is the word Sophia. That's an interesting word. There are a lot of people that have their kids named Sophia, uh, daughters named Sophia, or um, I guess you could say studies, or studies at this university over here will have a degree called philosophy, Sophia. The root of that meaning, two words, meaning love of and wisdom which means the right use, and wisdom is the right use of knowledge. It's not just having knowledge. Knowledge is a thing. It's how do you apply this knowledge that you have, right? We have the Bible. We can get knowledge from it, but it's how we apply that knowledge is wisdom. You can know how to do a thing, but actually doing it is a whole different, uh, a whole different ballgame. So it means the right use of wisdom here means the right use of knowledge or knowledge applied rightly. So you can have knowledge, but if you don't apply it correctly, well, you don't have wisdom. So behave, So I think we could summarize maybe this first portion of uh, verse 5 here as uh, this walk in wisdom. I'm going to give you the Brian Young very uh, wordy uh, expansion of that and uh, take it for what it is. It's my words. Uh, It's not inspired. But you could say maybe that walk in wisdom means to behave in a manner or deport yourselves consistent with the God-given wisdom and ability you now have. Walk in wisdom. Or as God has preserved it in his word, just walk in wisdom. 
The next part of the verse, toward them that are without. So what we see here in, in some of the history that we've looked at at the very beginning of the study is the Colossian people, where it was located, what the environment was like, what the culture was like at that time. The Colossian believers lived in a pagan environment, right? There are many gods, there are many things you can do. You can believe in this and, and bring your gods along and we'll add them into our, our uh, theological soup and we'll all be happy, right? Colossian believers lived in this pagan environment. You know, we as Americans and Oregonians live in a pagan environment. The sacrament of abortion on demand up until live birth, and sadly people push for it after live birth, is, is sacred. Years of decriminalization, and I'll, I'll be accurate here, of, uh, of marijuana in the state of Oregon, and, and now we're seeing it in many states around the country, and there will be, or will likely be, a huge push for it nat nationwide to take it off of a Schedule One drug. And more recently, decriminalized hard drugs in our state. Sadly and shamefully, that has happened. The majority of our state population has voted for that. Hard drugs, including heroin and methamphetamine, cocaine, you name it, it's now decriminalized. Now, decriminalized is an interesting word. It's not legalized, right, if we think of this. It is just the teeth of the law enforcement has been removed, right? It's still illegal, but the police and the prosecutors can't do anything about it. And our society is going to be continually devolving and decaying due to things like this. The, uh, I don't want to jump ahead of myself here, but uh, a general state of lawlessness is what we see in our country today. It's all over the news. If you paid attention at all this year, lawless, lawlessness prevails. Righteousness is on the decline. And for when drugs and protests are not enough and you can't cope or you've lost hope, doctor-assisted suicide, right? That's the end all. Like, okay, well, we'll just end it all now because the drugs don't work anymore. That's not an answer. That's not an answer. Whatever happened to doctor do no harm? It's shameful, the state of Oregon our country. America is not a Christian nation. I'll be bold in proclaiming that. We have Christians in this nation, but we are not a Christian nation. To our shame. To our shame. Christ to Christian shame. It is a pagan nation. We have a lot in common with Colossae. And I'll give you this quote. This was from a fundamental Baptist preacher a long time ago. I don't know the exact date, but a man named Lester Roloff said, America is an insane asylum run by the inmates. Truth. Maybe now you have a little insight into the life in first century Colossae. We're no different. All of these things occurred there. America today proves there is nothing new under the sun and that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You can know it. If you name the name of Christ, if you're born again, you can know that the heart is desperately wicked. So in their time and under their circumstances, the Colossian believers needed to conduct themselves wisely. 
You're living in a place that is not your home. Physically, you occupy. Physically, we live here. Physically, we occupy the city of Corvallis, some of us in the city of Albany, in the Mid-Valley here. We occupy physically this area, but this is not our home. Our home is to come. The Lord will come. Jesus is coming suddenly. Are you ready? The, the Colossians could not afford to compromise their values and lower their standards. The Colossian believers here in context could not lower their standards or compromise their values if they sincerely wanted to penetrate their society with the light of the gospel. You got to take a stand at some point. You got to call sin, sin. You have to call evil, evil. And you have to take a stand. We can't be wishy-washy. Paul is saying here, you, you can't be wishy-washy. If you name the name of Christ, you must take a stand. For us too, right? We need to call evil, evil. Abortion is evil. It is a sin. It's uncomprehensible to me. I have children. I've seen the, I've seen the ultrasounds. The science is available. My question that I pose to some of you is, what is science? The science is irrefutable. It is a life. It has a heartbeat. It is a human being. In its, in its uh, continuation of its life, if you don't interrupt it, it will result in a living, breathing human being with a heartbeat. Soul, mind, and conscience. That is valuable. It's valuable at birth, one minute after birth, but also one minute before birth, too. So we're kind of in the same sense of, uh, of being in Colossae. You could say we're in our own little Colossae here or any of the, the first century uh, Roman Empire dominated by paganism. But what we should be doing is standing fast in, even though it looks dark, We have nothing to fear. We have really, truly nothing to fear. Stand fast on Bible-based principles and doctrine or become a compromised Christian. You have to take a stand. You have to take a stand for truth and what is right. So a compromised Christian, what does a compromised so-called Christianity look like today? If the Colossians were to have said, okay, we're just going to give in here. We're going to uh, we're gonna live like the world just to get along, get along to uh, go along to get along, as the phrase goes. If they were to have done that, what does that end up producing? If we go along to get along here, now I'm not advocating any sort of um, crazy riotous behavior. That's what the the unsaved do that know not God we know God what do we do we stand up for Christ we stand up for biblical principles what does a compromise so called Christian look like or Christianity look like they might say well we and this is a this is an actual quote, phrase quoted I won't tell you where it came from but we take quote the Bible seriously but not literally now if you don't know the rest of the context to it, which I'll fill out here, you can say, well, I agree with that. I take the Bible seriously. 
I don't take it literally, right? We went back to Dr. Cooper's quote here of trusting that we can look at Scripture plainly, look at its plain sense meaning, and then if you're trying to do anything else other than that, you're going to, evaluating, not evaluating context is going to end up with nonsense. So I take the Bible seriously. I think we all should. And I don't take it literally. Right? Jesus said, I am the door. He's not a door with hinges and a doorknob. There are places where the plain sense of a passage may be the literal interpretation of it. And in that sense, the intersection of plain sense and literal meaning, very valid. So this exact quote here of the Bible, I take the, we take the Bible seriously, but not literally. This exact quote comes from a sodomy-affirming church. They affirm homosexual marriage, if you want to call it that. We'll just call it what it really is, what the Bible calls it. It's sodomy. Uh, a marriage between a man and a woman, not found in the Bible. Can't find it. Not once. Not anywhere. The sense here is that God, and, and they would tell you that the sense here is that God cannot really mean what he says about sin when they say things like this. If you affirm sin in a believer, you say it's okay, you can, you can come in here, you can trust Jesus and bring your sin along with this. Don't change your lifestyle. Don't have that changed life, that spirit within you, changing you from the inside. Are you going to be perfect when you get saved at the beginning? Not at all. But God is going to work on you and he's going to change you from the inside out to the point where those sins will go away. He will work them out of you. So the sense here that this, this church was proclaiming is that God cannot really mean what he says about sin. Therefore, we will pick and choose what to believe. Well, I like this over here and I like all God's love over here, but don't tell me any of this bad stuff about sin. I don't want to hear about it. I just want to talk about the love of God. God is love, and he is. God is just, too. God is angry with the wicked every day. We can't forget about that. Ironically, they condemned the literalist and, and the response to a few people that were like, I'm a literalist, and I think they're wrong. I think they're wrong in proclaiming that. Knee-jerk reaction, I'm a literalist. No. That's also wrong. You're not thinking through the issue here. Look at scripture plainly to see what it says. Ironically, this church condemned the literalists for doing the same exact thing. They accused them of cherry-picking scripture. Well, about uh, uh, the, the, pre the Levitical priests are not supposed to wear uh, woolen and linen clo clothing. Well, Bible says you're not supposed to do this. Do you do this? That's the same exact argument that I've heard from from people uh, that don't know Christ, so-called atheists, because there are no atheists, it's not possible. On a college campus, we'll tell you the same thing. Well, did you read in Leviticus? Are you are you wearing a polyester and cotton blend shirt? Well, you're against going against God's laws. Well, that's completely out of context, and uh, <laughs> it's laughable, to be honest, in one sense. But it is also sad that they're so deceived. So instead, we should take the Bible plainly and very seriously, not necessarily literally. So take God's word seriously. Compromise Christianity. Let's look at a few of the things that it would put out there. So if we decide to go along to get along, if the Colossians decided to go along and get along, they would become compromised. 
And compromised Christianity might affirm that people are mostly good, right? We're mostly good. I believe men are, are generally good people. They just mess up some of the times. We just need to give them a helping hand. No. What does the Bible say? That's the important thing. What does the Bible say? Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. None of us here today in this room or in this city, in this state, in our country, in this whole world is righteous at all of ourselves. There's none righteous. This is what the Bible declares. None of us can do enough good, go to church enough, do anything to merit God's favor and become righteous on our own. An organization that would teach this is telling you a lie. You cannot do enough. This is what the Bible says. And in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. We have no righteousness of ourselves and we've all sinned. We have a big problem now. Compromised Christianity saddles up with the world and says there are many ways to God, but what does the Bible say? John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I'm it. If you want to get to heaven, if you want eternal life, if you don't want to spend the, the eternity in a lake of fire, the Bible proclaims all sinners of any flavor, whatever you want to call them, the fearful, the first one on the list, right? I'm afraid. I don't want to wrong my family. I, I don't want to uh, rock the boat. I don't want to do this. Well, you're fearful. You're exercising fear in that moment. You're first on the list. Compromised Christianity settles up, settle, saddles up with the world and says there are many ways to God, but God says that Jesus is it. 1 John 5, 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Jesus Christ is God. His promises of being the only way to eternal life are only effective if he is deity, if he is God. Jesus is divine. He is God incarnate. In other words, he's God come in the flesh. That's what we would look at this time of the year, Christmas time, right? The world celebrates Christmas with Santa Claus and lots of Amazon trucks. <laughs> right? Now, what is Christmas all about? What is the reason for the season, as to, as to rhyme that out? Well, Jesus Christ is a reason for the season. We recognize his first advent, or his first coming here, this time of the year, every year, for nearly 2,000 years. He's come once, but he's coming again. And the question is, are you ready? Because he's coming again in righteousness, in judgment. And to know where you're going to stand. Are you going to be standing on the left hand or the right hand? Are you going to be with the sheep or are you going to be with the goats? Going to be with those that are going to have eternal life in heaven or are you going to be with those of eternal damnation in the lake of fire? Eternal torment, torment for an eternity. It never ends. To know Jesus Christ is the escape from that. But he is much more than that. He has he is, he is, uh, come, he has lived the perfect life on earth. He lived here for about 33 years. Never sinned once. Was tempted in all ways that we could be. 
yet without sin. He lived the perfect life that none of us, if we're honest with ourselves, <clears throat> can ever do, could ever hope to do. He died on the cross. He gave up his life for all of us, everyone in this room, everyone in this world that has ever lived, that lives right now, and will ever live in the future. And the only thing that he asks us to do is not go to church every, every Sunday or every time the doors open. Not pay a tithe. Not read my Bible every day. Not help the old lady across the street. Not be a good neighbor. The thing that he asks us to do is believe on him. It's not really an ask. It's a command, right? We're commanded to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What comes after that? Thou shalt be saved. Compromised Christianity hopes to be in heaven, but we know that we can know so because the Bible says that these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. We can know right now that we have eternal life. It's a certain thing. It's more certain than the sun will rise tomorrow. And I don't just say that because we live in Oregon, because it'll probably be cloudy. <laughs> right? We may not see it. Sun will rise tomorrow if, if he tarries. But our salvation is more certain than tomorrow. It's more certain than your next breath or your next heartbeat. If you trust in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life right now. Compromised Christianity downplays the Word of God <clears throat> in the hopes of enticing people to come to their church gathering, I guess, if you want to call it that, for special events, for activities, for worldly wisdom, how to have your best life now, as one, one uh, so-called pastor uh, in error says. Your best life is not now, by the way. Your best life, if you know Jesus Christ, is yet to come. these church services at some of these places, if you've ever seen any kind of online videos or critiques of them, or even been to them yourselves, shamefully I've been to one or two. Thankfully it was before we started coming here. Um, but if you, if you consider what these church services look like, well, they're more like stage productions, if you've ever seen one of them. They have a lot of guy wires and a lot of nice spotlights and big rock bands with drummers and a glass shield around them so it's not so loud and all kinds of electronic instruments and dancing and hopping around and jumping what is this all, what's the purpose of this is the purpose to get people to come to church to come to your church to drop money in an offering plate so you can continue the spectacle to provide the bread and circus that the late dying Roman Empire would have you believe let's just give them something to entertain them. Is that the reason to come to church? They would have you believe that. It shows that we... So what does this type of... Uh, sorry, I'm skipping ahead here. <clears throat> you know, if you, if you examine what they look like, if you, if you were to look at one of these, these uh, so-called church services and you were to turn the sound off, not listen to any closed captioned words, anything that's going on there, and you looked at it, 
you would be hard pressed to tell it from the rock concert that occurred the night before right or you know to, to make it a little bit more PG maybe the Disney on Ice special that occurred at the theater right it's it's not really any different than that who is the focus on in this sort of thing is it focus on the man with the skinny jeans and the the hipster whatever sitting on a stool is it is it focused on the man or is it focused on Christ who's getting the glory and the honor out of something like that we should be careful here that we're not elevating a man to you know sub-deity status on just who they are like well I follow Apollos or I follow Dr. So-and-so or I'm I'm follow no follow Jesus Christ so if we as a church compromise on the word of God and biblical principles what does that show to the lost world around us what does it what does it show toward them that are without it shows that we don't really believe God and that in our eyes the world is justified in carrying on in their wickedness and unbelief so if we compromise with the world if we just say if we allow a little sin into the tent the can the sin of the camel sticking its nose under the tent it will eventually occupy the entire tent it shows that we don't really believe God <clears throat> And, it, and it, it shames the name of Christ. You bring shame on the name of Christ. Colossians 4, 5, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. The phrase to them with, that are without is in reference to the unbelieving people of the world. They're on the outside of God's saving grace and destined to spend eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. Let's be clear. They're going to hell because of their own sin. We're all guilty, right? All of sin and come short of the glory of God as we saw earlier, and not because of some, some far-off unknowable God who might arbitrarily pick somebody to get saved. There, there are doctrines out there that claim that. They resemble more, more of Hindu fatalism in anything if you study these things and not what the Bible actually says. Right? God is angry with the wicked, but God loved this world, everyone in it, so much and that so is so big, so much that he sent his own son to die on the cross and rise again, that we might have fellowship and be joined together with the Father. People are not going to hell because they don't believe in God. Well, I don't believe, right? That's the, that's the little kid thing. I was just hearing some, somebody talk about this. A child, an infant, if they're looking at a person and you, they close their eyes, that person is no longer there. That's what we're, we're, we're to understand. It's not that we can close our eyes, spiritual eyes, and say, I don't believe in God, he's not there. It doesn't change the fact that God is there. God's existence doesn't depend on my opinion of him. They're going to hell because they don't believe God. Right? It's not that you don't believe in God. There are a lot of people out there that believe in God. You know, I believe in God. There's a God out there, all this stuff. The question is, do you believe God and what he said about your sin and what he said about his son and how to be saved? 
Do you believe God in what he says, what his word says? Paul's encouraging the Colossian believers to walk in wisdom toward the lost around them, to be good and positive, to, to be a good and positive testimony of Christ, to know sound doctrine and to be ready to teach others. To not be caught up in the cares of this world to the point that it compromises their testimonies of salvation through Jesus Christ. Don't try to go along to get along. And to be redeeming the time and looking for opportunities to be a witness of Christ. Right? Redeeming the time, buying it back. Looking for those opportunities to share the gospel message. Everyone in here who knows Jesus Christ as Savior knows that transforming work, who we were before and who we are now, and a little bit of who we are yet to come. God's still working on all of us, including me. We can see the end. Looking forward to it. Their pagan neighbors would not believe that Christ had made a credible difference in their lives unless they observed the change in their walk and talk. Unbelievers could rightly condemn believers for their hypocrisy. No, you claim the name of Christ, yet what difference do I see in your, in your life? You just still do the same things. I won't elaborate on anything, but you're not a changed person. I don't see anything different. You just say you're a Christian, right? I believe it's in James. Maybe I'll turn over there in a second. God knows each of our hearts. So to know that you're saved, who are the people that know you're saved? You know you're saved if you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and God knows that. To everybody else out there. So it's an often distorted passage, but James chapter 2, verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Now, this is directed toward people looking on other people. You can say you have Jesus as Savior. Maybe we could say that here about the Colossians. You could say, or even any of us here, anybody in America today, you can say that you have Jesus Christ as your Savior. But if we don't see that before men, we can't see what's inside of your heart. You know it, God knows it. What people see to determine whether you are truly saved is what you do. What do you do with the name of Christ? Are you living for him or are you living for self? If someone meets a Christian but sees no difference in their life, why should anybody become a Christian? Well, you're, you're just the same old guy that I used to know and, and, uh, and uh, I don't see any reason why I should be a Christian. You still do the same things? What's, what's the difference? What, what's, what's the reason to become a Christian? Um, there was something more I think I wanted to say there. But, but the spirit-led and spirit-filled believer will have peace in all things and circumstances, right? The world could be falling around, apart, apart around you, and yet you have a peace within you. Right? Our world is not in the best shape right now. America's wicked. And it's not wicked because of some election that just occurred. It was wicked before. <laughs> it was wicked last year and the year before that. It doesn't matter who occupies the governor's office or the White House, any of these things. It doesn't really matter. 
doesn't matter to me. But you know, that peace that passeth all understanding that Philippians, Paul writes in Philippians 4, you know, there were a lot of people that went through a lot of difficult circumstances to name the name of Christ. And you can read about a lot of them in Fox's Book of Martyrs. And again, you need to understand it's not inspired scripture, but just some examples there. Uh, many early church martyrs would go willingly to the stake to be burned alive. Um, names are escaping me, but uh, protege of the Apostle John. Um, Polycarp. Him. And Irenaeus, I believe, to the early church fathers. Taught by the apostles. Were martyred for their faith. But they had a peace of God which passeth all understanding. Today as well, unbelievers dissect our behavior and our words. Or sorry, today as well, unbelievers dissect our behavior and our words. Ah, you're a Christian, why did you X, Y, Z? And they'll condemn you for it. And maybe it's rightful condemnation. Maybe you're not being a good Christ-like example. They dissect our behavior and our words as they look for evidence that Christ has indeed changed our lives. So... I'm a Christian. I trust that Jesus Christ is my Savior. April 14th, 2007. My parents' couch, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It's exactly where I was. Facing north, out the big bay window. Um, I'm not perfect. Yet. That's coming. When the Lord returns. They, they, uh, but unbelievers will be nitpicky. They will point out you and call you a hypocrite, right? Well, I don't go to church because there are hypocrites at church. <laughs> there are hypocrites at Walmart. There are hypocrites at name your anything in this world. Hypocrisy is rampant. Doesn't excuse it, right? We should recognize our faults, confess them to God, not to me, don't need to confess them to me or to pastor, take it to the Lord, to the high priest that intercedes for us today, Jesus Christ. Confess those, your faults among men, but confess your sins to God. We should not give them any reason to doubt our salvation by living like the world. Colossians 4, 5, again, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. And maybe I'll summarize this, this verse as I finish out the summary of the verse here. If, you, if I were to put this in my words, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time, I would say something maybe like this. Behave in a manner where to port yourselves consistent with the God-given wisdom and ability you now have. To be a positive testimony of Jesus Christ among the unbelieving world, always ready to and looking for opportunities to share the hope of eternal life, which is only in Jesus Christ. And I'm sure you could write pages upon pages to further expand this. Thankful God's done a lot of that work for us already in his word. All right, so let's go ahead and close. We'll, we're running a little late, so I'll 
skip the transparency in the discussion for that. But thanks for your attention. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, <clears throat> Lord, for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you <clears throat> and are able to remember this time of the year as we celebrate his first coming, looking forward to his soon and sudden second coming, Lord. We thank you for salvation, which is freely offered to us through the blood, through the death, burial, and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. To whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Lord. To confess our sin to you, to recognize that we deserve to go to hell, that uh, you loved us and you commended your love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, that if we call out to you and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll save us. And for those that have done it, Know that peace that passeth all understanding. Lord, the world doesn't have it, is looking for it, and it's found in one place, his name, and in one person, his name is Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for this time here. Pray that you bless this lesson. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.